Well, one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that God speaks to preachers and God speaks through preachers. Um, the other thing I've learned through the years of ministry is that it's really important for preachers to make sure that we're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, we were going to begin a series today uh, called I Love My Church, and it's an important series, and, and yes, we'll take time one day to, to re-engage that, and, and it, it was a series that was designed to talk about how church is not a building, and we certainly have learned that in this pandemic, haven't we? And that, more importantly, that we, the people, are called to be the church, and that's through us as people in our communities, in our surrounding areas, as well as into the world, that we are the church of Jesus Christ. Well, God whispered in my ear this week and said, Bob, that's an important series, but I want you to parking lot that. So we're going to switch directions and, and move into a, a different direction today. And as I was thinking about what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, a couple of images came to my mind. I mean, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, aren't we? A pandemic where we've seen over 100,000 of our fellow brothers and sisters in our country alone who have died because of COVID-19. Uh, we're still living in a, in a world that, that, um, that, that's causing hardships, and because of COVID-19 and the challenges that we've been seeing in this pandemic, we have over 40,000 of our fellow brothers and sisters in this country who are unemployed now, a number that uh, far exceeds the numbers of the Great Depression. So, so we have families who are hungry, and we have people who want to work, but, but because businesses have had to, to shut down during this season, people have been impacted by that. And we've been watching on the news these, these horrible, horrible images about how brother and sister have been coming against brother and sister. And, and it all began because uh, someone stepped out in sin, that we see a, a life of an important person, an individual um, who, who had his life taken from him because the person who did it had the power to do that. When I was a boy, I, I, I did not like the writings of the prophets. And let me tell you why. As a, as a young boy, I, I didn't like that because I found them to be very scary. I, I saw so much destruction and gloom and doom and the things that came into that. When I, when I got older, and especially when I went to seminary, I started studying the writings of the prophets a lot deeper, and I came to really cherish the message of what the prophets had to say. And instead of running away and being afraid of what the prophets were proclaiming, I began to learn how to stand in the gap and how to learn to receive what those prophetic words were and what they continue to be for us today as the church and to live into that and to understand God has a message for that. I learned that, that what made the prophets unique was, was their message. And, and the message that they had was, it was a message of proclaiming. That's what it means to prophesy. Prophesy means to proclaim the word of God. So they're proclaiming this message that God had placed on their hearts. And we saw that the message that the prophets were proclaiming were not in favor with the people. In fact, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, many of them who were ridiculed and shamed and lost their lives because of the messages that they proclaimed. And yet God continued to send the prophets. And the message behind the prophets was twofold. The first thing that they said was that as a person of God and as the person called to lead the people in that time, that they wanted the people to know that they had a love for them. And you know that I love you, right? And, and I'm, I'm called in this season, and Pastor Pam's called in this season. We're called in this season as your shepherds and as, as your pastors, and we love you. But what, but what the prophets also said was that there are times when the messages that have to be proclaimed are not going to be received very well. In fact, one prophesied not only in good times, but also prophesied 
in times that were discouraging, in times that were quite difficult. The news feeds and, and, and everything that we've been watching, I know your heart is breaking just like mine. And, and, and the cry that I hear from most of our folks is, what can we do? Pastor, tell us what to do. And what's in my heart is that before we can do, we have to learn, we have to be. We have to understand what it means that this plight is all about. That you and I, who might be of Caucasian skin, we might say that we understand the plight of our brown and black brothers and sisters, but we really don't, do we? So we need to, instead of telling them how to solve a problem, we need to come alongside and actually learn and hear the voice that's being taught to us. You know, as I'm watching these images, I, I see, um, as I shared earlier, uh, re most recently, the, the death of George Floyd, and, and um, his life was taken because somebody had the power to do that. And then all of a sudden we start seeing that, that people are gathering in streets and they're, they're protesting, which is our right to do. And then we see things that aren't turning out very well, where, where we see destruction that's happening and, and complications that are going. And, and listen, I'm a, I'm a person who's an advocate of peace. And I don't, I don't think that, that we should get into destructive means, but I also have come to understand that, that people express themselves in different ways. But here's what I've learned through this. I've learned that, that sometimes we get angry at the wrong things. You know, how many of us have been angry, or how many have been angry, I should say, because what we see on the news is someone taking a 70-inch TV out of, a, out of a big box store, or they're taking items out of the store. I mean, our anger burns within, within us and from within many, doesn't it? And we get angry with that. And, and we're peaceful as long as people are, are assembling peacefully, and as long as they're being controlled, because we like control, we don't like chaos. But the minute something goes awry, it really throws us, doesn't it? You know, the challenge that we see here is, is kind of the words that we share when we're watching these images of people coming in and out of stores and, and taking things is, is that we say, oh, a black man was killed. But why are they looting the stores? And let me, let me call upon you, brothers and sisters. That's the wrong question. The wrong question isn't, or the wrong question is uh, a black man was killed. But why are they looting the stores? The right question is, Oh, they're looting the stores. But why was another black man killed? That's the question. You see, as Christians, we're taught that we're not supposed to be angry. In fact, we, we kind of have painted ourselves in this corner. We, we, we herald these images of sweet Jesus with children on his lap and being lambs and lambs and lambs. Jesus taught us to be lambs, yes, but he said, don't be a lamb chop. That's my interpretation. And what we find from this is the cruel reality of the world in which we live. Yes, as Christians, we are called to be makers of peace, but we are also called to identify and to call out and to act upon when injustices occur that we see. We cannot stand idly by. If you see someone in trouble as a Christian, you're called to help. You're not supposed to just watch it develop and see the person harmed. You are called to help. You are called to intervene. I shared with you earlier that, that you have known me well over these last 10 years that I've had the privilege of being your pastor. You know that I am a person of peace, and, 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 and I know that, that sometimes in expressions of anger, it crosses the line. And, and, and listen, anger is, is an emotion that God has given to us, but we cannot be angry to the point where it causes us to sin 
as the scriptures say. So here's my account with this. My account is, is before we blame all the protesters, before we blame all of our friends who wear the blue uniform, before we blame all of these things, let us take a step back. Let us come together and sense that there is good still in the hearts of people, that we must find that good, and we must learn, as the scriptures say, to move forward. You see, you see we've, we've moved out of this understanding of a community which the whole scriptures were built upon, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's about community, not Lone Ranger mentality, community. We've lost the we, and we've gone back to focusing on the me. Let me say that again. We've lost the we, and we've gone back to focusing on the me. I know many of you are hurting, many of you are crying, many of you are, are destroyed emotionally because of what we see in our nation today. And you know what? It should harm our hearts to see what we see. We, we understand the issue and the challenge. I've read your Facebook posts, I've read your emails, I've received your text messages. You and I have talked on phones. I know the pain that you're in. And I hope that you know the pain that I'm in, that as a, as a person of faith that I too, my heart is crushed because we've lost something. We've lost the art of lament. Let me say that again. We've lost the ability or the art of lament. Lamenting is something that is deeply rooted in us as people of God. To lament is defined in, in so many ways. It, it helps us to, as Christians to, to understand how we're supposed to respond to the injustices that we see. Here's a couple of definitions of the word lament. It means to mourn. It doesn't mean to cry. It means to mourn. There's a difference there, isn't there? There's a difference between being sad and mourning. If you've ever mourned, you know what it's like, that you are, you are weeping from the inside of the depths of your soul uncontrollably because of the hurt that is in your heart. You see, we, we mourn a person's loss or death. That's what it means to lament. Lament means to express one's deep grief about or to express regret or disappointment over something considered unsatisfactory or unreasonable or unfair. Isn't that what we're experiencing today? Things that are unreasonable, unsatisfactory, unfair. We are lamenting. It means to protest against, to speak out against, or complain about something. You see, Christians are called to lament. We are called to speak out. We are called to protest the injustices that we see in our lives. The scriptures point that out. And we must understand that our anger has a purpose. But we must use that anger in a direction that can affect change. The act of lamenting might seem like, a, like an odd topic to talk about today. And some of you are saying, well, well, Pastor, you lost me earlier because we should be talking about the church. Because isn't the church important? Yes, the church is important. But it's also important for us to understand that, that this whole theme of lamenting is, is that we don't find ourselves doing it anymore. In fact, I believe that part of the distance that we see between ourselves and each other and God is the fact that we have lost the art of lamenting. 
We have lost what that means. Hard times come upon us. They come unexpectedly. And and many of us find ourselves in a position where, where we struggle to understand, how am I supposed to handle this? What am I supposed to do? What is the action that I'm now to take? Because we've lost the we language in our vocabulary. We are more concerned about what is important to me than we are about the we. You see, when, when protests and, and things are peaceful, we're, we're fine because, again, I said earlier, we, we know that people are living in this little box, and as long as they stay in the box, we're fine with that. But when all of a sudden, when, 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 when we have a problem is when, when they're holding signs or they're protesting and, and people are marching and people are, are, are shouting out in protest of what they have seen, some of us get angry and upset because they're doing that. And all of a sudden, when we begin to move in that direction, we lose the we, and we begin to see the me. Because the me says they're not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to express anger. They're not allowed to shout words that I don't like to hear. They're not allowed to spray paint on buildings. You see, because that's important to me. But what about the we? We're all responsible for our words, aren't we? We're all responsible for our actions. But Jesus told Peter that no one can live by the sword. In fact, Peter said, or Jesus said, Peter, put down your sword, because if you wield the sword, you will surely die by the sword. And that's, that's a prophetic word today, isn't it? When our words are calling us to, to fight back and to bring out our swords, Jesus says, put away the sword. Jesus says, you live and die by the sword. People are suffering. And people are dying because of one thing, because of the color of their skin. And that's the challenge that we see. So what are the followers of Jesus to do? We're to lament. We're to lament in a way. The Old Testament gives us a glimpse of that. And the Old Testament gives us many books. One is even called Lamentations. You need to go read that. And we see in the writings of the prophets, the lamenting. One in particular is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time that, that the Babylonians came and ransacked Jerusalem. What happened was Solomon died. And within a year after his death, all of a sudden you started seeing civil wars and civil unrest. Solomon was the great man of wisdom, the great man of peace. His death is gone. And now all of a sudden there is a challenge for power. And Solomon's death spurred something. It spurred a civil war that, that brought in a division of the kingdom. In the north, we see where, where 10 of the 12 of the original tribes resided in Israel. And south in Judah, two of the uh, 12 tribes resided. And there was a split that happened. And Jeremiah was proclaiming the challenges that we see in this. And we, we see also in the writings of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles of the challenges that befell these kingdoms. What once was kingdoms that were established in peace were now not in peace. Idols were established and, and, and set up and they were worshiped instead of God. And, and the laws in which God had given Moses were no longer being abided by. That there was a segregation against people. There was a division between us and them. And the world was in chaos. At last, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in and they, they broke through the city walls. 
And they burned down the temple and they pillaged and they massacred the people and they carried off the remainder back into Babylon. The book of Daniel talks about this as well. And there we find is the, the king Zedekiah. Zedekiah and his family his family was killed right before him. His nobles were killed. They were killed right before his eyes. And the last image that he saw before they burned his eyes out was the death of his very own family. And Jeremiah is upset. He is weeping. He is mourning. He is crying out to God. The cry that comes out when we lament. And those words are, how long, Lord? Oh, how long must we go? And Jeremiah cries out, those words of lament. Let me share with you these words in Lamentations chapter 3. I'm the man, it's Jeremiah writing, I'm the man who has seen trouble, trouble coming from the lash of God's anger. He took me by the hand and walked me into the pitch black darkness. Yes, he's given me the back of his hand over and over again. He turned me into a scarecrow of skin and bones and then broke the bones. He hemmed me in. He ganged up on me. He poured on the trouble of hard times and he locked me in a deep darkness like a corpse nailed inside of a coffin. He shuts me in so I'll never get out. Manacles my hands and he shackles my feet. And even when I cry out and I plead for help, he looks up and he locks up my prayers and he throws them away and he throws away the key. He sets up the blockades with, with quarried limestone, like a barrier. He, he's got me cornered. He's a prowling bear tracking me down, a lion hiding, ready to pounce. He, he knocked me from the path and he ripped me to pieces. And when he finished, Jeremiah writes, there was nothing left for me. He took out his bow and arrows and, and he used me for target practice. And he shot me in the stomach with arrows from his quiver. And everyone took me for a joke, made me the butt of their mocking ballads, and he forced rotten, stinking food down my throat and bloated me with vile drinks. He ground my face into the gravel. He pounded me into the mud and I gave up on life altogether. I've forgotten what the good life is like. And I said to myself, this is it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. Now, some of us will listen to these words and, and we'll say, Pastor, why are you sharing scripture where someone is blaming God for the suffering in their life? Isn't God of hope? Isn't God of miracles? Isn't God good and gracious? The answer is yes, God is. But we also see that there are times in our lives when things come our way. And I want to share with you that, that, that I wouldn't wish the suffering of Jeremiah on my worst enemies. But I'm, and I'm grateful for his example in Scripture and, and his willingness to write out his feelings. He is lamenting. He is mourning. He is crying out at the injustice of this destruction of his land, of the taking away of his people. And he is crying out to God. So lamenting. Let me share with you a couple of things about what I want us to know about lamenting, because we're going to talk about this the next couple of weeks. Here's the first one. God is sovereign over all things. And what that means is nothing that we can ever think of can have power over God. God is sovereign, which means that, that God can do whatever God wants, okay? But both God can do both the good and the bad. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. 
we're, we're often quick to recognize that, that evil comes from, from the devil, and we, we say that evil comes from sinful actions, and, and yes, that's true, but, but we've got to understand the truth of suffering. And that truth is, is that we have to recognize that God has sovereignty over suffering, that suffering cannot happen unless God lets it happen, okay? So suffering can't just happen, but God lets it happen. And we see this all throughout history. Now notice the words of Jeremiah. He, he continues to use the pronoun he and his, and he's clearly calling out to God in the midst of his lamenting. He is calling out to God in his brokenness. While it's true that, that Nebuchadnezzar and his army were the ones doing the suffering on Jeremiah and the people, we also learn in the story that God doesn't stop the suffering from happening. God lets the suffering continue. Henceforth, the words of the one lamenting, how long, O Lord, how long? The same is true with Job. While, while Satan is certainly the one who is afflicting Job, Job's afflictions are coming because God's not stopping it. God, for whatever reason, God has chosen to let that affliction run its course. When those things around us happen and when people around us happen or are suffering and we ask God, you know, um, why is the suffering? We have to be careful that we don't just immediately discount it that it's evil in the world that's causing all the suffering. Again, God is sovereign. If God so choose to stop the suffering, God would do that. And yet we wrestle with this. This is, this is part of our theology of understanding the sovereignty of God in the midst of good and evil. And we see the challenge that comes from this. In Job's story, the hand of suffering was not of God, but God allowed the suffering to happen. When God allows suffering, you can be certain that God has a reason for the suffering to happen. Now, think about what I just said. When suffering happens, God has a reason why he chooses to allow suffering to happen. I think it begs a huge question that we need to ask during these times. With all suffering that is happening right now, what good can come from it? In fact, you've heard me say this before. God, what is the lesson that we learn from the teaching and living through the suffering? And how is your will being done? But you see, we've got to hold on to hope. Because in the midst of suffering, even though God is sovereign, and for whatever reason God has chosen to allow the suffering to happen, we need to hold on to the hope, and that is that we will embrace the good that God will bring out of the suffering. Suffering isn't good, but there can be good that comes out of the suffering. As I've wrestled with this question, why, why would God allow this suffering, I've come to understand that, that God doesn't need my defense. I don't need to defend God. If the suffering seems too extreme, the solution is not to attempt to vindicate God and to say, oh, it's not at all that God, God has nothing to do in the midst of the suffering. God does have something to do in the suffering. And we hope for the good that comes out of the suffering. Change affects the world. And it takes suffering at times. For the saints in the world to cry out, how long, Lord, how long, to lament for something good that can come. 
Here's the second point. It's okay to cry out to God in anger. I've, I've had so many people who have said, if I cry out to God in anger, it means that I have no faith, that I need to have more faith. You've got it all wrong. Look at the writings of the prophets. Look at Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's lamenting at the moment of the cross. So it's okay to cry out to God in anger and frustration and pain. Lamentation is not an act of weakness, but it is an expression of faith. This is why I say this. A non-believer is suffering. A non-believer who does not believe in God is suffering and cries out with the understanding in their mind because they have no belief that no one is going to hear their suffering, that nobody cares, nobody can deliver them from that. They may reach out to friends and relatives and, and people that are part of their group, but there's only so much human beings can do, right? That's the difference between a non-believer and a believer. The believer knows that when they cry out out of their suffering, that God hears their pain, that God is aware of their suffering, that God sees the suffering, and that God affects a change that will come out of the suffering. Remember earlier when I said that as a child I didn't like the writings of the prophets because I was scared of the messages? The prophets proclaimed the impending doom. But then they ended after their proclamation, but if you will just change your ways, if you will just humble yourself and come back to God, if you will just make the Lord your God, if you will just be his disciple, that God will return that favor upon you. And we see this is truth. David is a great example of a believer, King David. David, David feels forsaken by God. Remember when, when, God, um, when David's child out of the lust of Bathsheba and the child is killed? David is angry at God, but, but he knows better than, than to trust his feelings alone. And David says, I'm going to look back at the history of this entire relationship that I've had with God. And I see time after time after time after time again where in the midst of my anger and desolation that God proved to be faithful and loving and merciful and gracious and just. And David realized that he could hold on to that which seemed so uncertain. Here's a third one. We can hope in the character of God. So through lamenting, we hope in the character of God. Sometimes when we suffer, especially when we suffer as a result of our sins, we feel as though we expect that God won't step in because we're a sinner, that we've, we've called this upon ourselves and, and we say to ourselves, there's no way God will intervene. Let me just say that, that that's not true. God does intervene in God's time. Jeremiah says this, he says, I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness. So he's on the other side of the lament now. The utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison, the wormwood, the gall that I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember. The feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other uh, thing that I remember in remembering. I keep a grip on hope that God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. So do you see how Jeremiah is shifting now in his thinking and in his lamenting? Before it was, God, you're allowing this to happen, and now he's, he's seeing the faithfulness in the character of God. He goes on to say, they're created a new morning, and, and how great your faithfulness. 
I'm sticking with God, and I say it over and again, he's all I've got left. Jeremiah sees the significance of trusting in God's character in the midst of suffering and trouble. Here's number four. We, we can hope in the future restoration that God has promised us in Christ. Listen, it will get better. It will get better. Remember the, the children of Israel were, were promised a land and they wandered year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. Many in those generations never saw what God had promised until later in life or, or maybe after their death their loved ones did, but God ultimately delivered. And God's future restoration comes into play. When God allows suffering to happen, he promises that there is a restoration on the way. How long, O oh Lord, how long? The saints cry in the book of Revelation as they hide under the holy altar as destruction and desolation pounds down. God promises restoration. Here's number five. We can, we can hope in the resurrection which God has promised to all believers. Jesus' resurrection reminds us of the ultimate source of our hope. In the end, no matter what may befall us in life, no matter what comes our way, we share in the resurrection of Jesus. Which means if, if our life is filled with suffering, if it means that, that we are under desolation, if we are under assault, the one thing, the one bringing the assault onto us cannot take away is that Jesus promises us life. And resurrection is key. The Apostle Paul is reflecting, and he's writing this to the church in Rome, and he says the Spirit himself testifies and confirms together with our spirit. So he's saying the Spirit of God is assuring us that we believers are children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and the inheritance of Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering so that we may also share in his glory. Through the suffering of Jesus, we see a freedom that comes. And therefore in our suffering, in Christ, a change is coming. Paul continues, for I consider uh, from the standpoint of faith that the sufferings of the present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. For even the whole creation, all nature awaits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration and to futility, not willing not willingly because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and to gain entrance into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You see, that's God's hope is that, that we of the world would recognize that God wants us to be free from, from all suffering, from all isms, from, from all assaults and attacks and things that we see, that God's hope and goal is that creation is reconciled with that. For we know that the whole creation has been moaning together as in the pains of childbirth until now. Moaning together. We've been moaning, haven't we? 
and the pains of childbirth. And not only this, but we too, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, a joyful indication of the blessing to come, even when we groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the sign of our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption and transformation of our body at the resurrection. For in this hope, listen to me, in this hope, say that word hope, in this hope, we are saved by faith, but hope, the object of, which is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he's already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait eagerly for it with patience and composure. As we're dealing with the crisis of our nation, in our communities, in the world, we have not yet seen that hope develop. It's coming. It's coming. And that's God's promise. And if it means that we suffer for a time, then we suffer. And we call upon out of lament that the spirit of mourning that is deep inside of our souls, that it would emerge calling for the hope of Christ to reconcile this broken world. Amen. Let's go to a time of prayer this morning. Let me just ask you that as you are making a space around you, a sacred space, I want you to learn what it means to lament. You know, we're so prim and proper with our prayers. We fold our hands, we close our eyes, we talk in a quiet voice, but we learn that lament is none of that. It is crying out to God. So I want you to join with me today. I want you to join with me uh, for the days ensuing. And I want us to cry out and call to God. God, we are not happy. We are not happy with what the world has become. We are not engaging in the ways of the isms any longer. And that we call upon your spirit to free us from this bondage that our brothers and sisters continue to embrace. And God, our hearts suffer. We cry out to you, and we confess there are times that, that we feel so defenseless that we say, what are we to do? And then we get angry because nobody tells us what to do. But God, if it means that we suffer through this, so that the solution to end the isms of the world happen in our lifetime, then we embrace that and we say we suffer along with Christ. Lord Jesus, our hearts are broken. We no longer want to live with this pain, but yet we accept the pain in the midst of our life. Lord God, how long, O oh Lord, how long until we as a creation become that which you desired us to be? When will the time come that our swords will be broken into plowshares, that our brothers and sisters of color, black, brown, yellow, red, whatever, white, that we understand that there are differences amongst us and we confess those, and that we call upon you 
out of the brokenness that grieves our heart to mend our broken land. God, we cry out to our leaders whose voices are not proclaiming the right message, but are proclaiming a message of harm and hurt and not of healing. Break their hearts of stone, Lord, and help them to see the true answer and the way. I know it's a risk for us to pray, Lord, but we confess in the midst of the risk that we accept the growth and the challenge that's before us. Humble us, and we know that in all things you work for the good of your people who are called according to your purpose. God, we know that you draw near to the brokenhearted. God, we know that you are calling us to restore the world. And in Jesus' name, the one who bore the nails and hung on a cross, who was ridiculed for who he was, may we be free. Amen and amen.